Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Let's dive into this. Uh, I want to second what uh, Linda said. Um, it has very little to do with what the worship team is doing on stage and a lot more to do with the, the placement of the hearts of the people. Uh, you can have the best band in the world with the best singers in the world singing the right songs in the right key, but if you are disconnected, you are disconnected. Then I've been in Ukraine, and I've heard some awful bands with some awful singing in a language I didn't even know while I'm on the ground sobbing because the presence of God was there. One thing I do love, one thing, Kelly, one of the billion things I love about his presence is that it's no discrimination of age, uh, ethnicity, class system, or language. Uh, it doesn't matter what gender you are or, or what. I've seen people just of all ages and um, all two genders uh, sobbing at the, uh, I clarify that, uh, sobbing at the altar simultaneously because what, what God was moving. And you know what's great about, I want to just do a little bit of, of um, home talk before we go into the message is this, is that when you have those moments um, where you are flowing in the music aspect and there is just God is moving and God is doing something, uh, here's what's really great, is, is that God, with his presence, speaks to people exactly where they are. See, I'm about to preach a message that's been prepared and designed to speak. However, when you go into the presence of God and you go, what did God speak to you? It could be completely different from EJ as it is for Ashonda because he's a very personal God. And what we need to understand is that in those flows of worship and in those times of worship, a very personal God wants to have a very personal conversation with you. And if, we are, if we're waiting for something to happen in a Stargate portal to open and angels come flying out, you're, you're, you're missing what's supposed to happen. And what's supposed to happen is a one-on-one -on -one conversation. And it's in that flow of worship and God, I don't even know what to say, I just know you're good. God, I don't know what to say, but you're holy. God, I don't know what I'm even, but you can feel it building up and all of a sudden it's the, it's the most bizarre thing. Peace comes, joy comes, clarity comes, ideas come. The amount of times I've had conversations with people and, and they were in worship and they didn't have a, a, a thing to pray. They just, God was moving and they were just, had their hands raised and they were just singing in the spirit or they were, 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 were praying or worshiping God, you're holy, just, that's all they could say. And then all of a sudden ideas would come and breakthrough would come. Um, and so he's, it's that whole thing. When we, when we pour it up, he pours it back down. Amen. And it doesn't matter where you are. That's the next thing. I don't care how great and holy you are if you've been tracking with this th during this fast month or the only thing you're fasting is fast food. And like you're just, you're getting food and you're going and you're doing your thing. It doesn't matter if you listen to Christian radio 24-7 or, or you had something that wasn't that great on on the way to church. God will speak to you because you are pouring out to him. That's why we humble ourselves. And that's one of the key things about worship is it's a humbling of who I am, acknowledging how great he is. And, and, and unlike a narcissistic God, he sees us in our humble state 
and then he elevates you. He doesn't go, you're right, I'm great, and you're not. No, he calls you his own. And we're going to talk about that for just a little bit. So as we are flowing and exploring and, and experiencing his, his presence in worship, understand, it's not the time to go, oh, they're doing a little intro, I'm going to go to get a cup of coffee, or I'm going to the bathroom. You're missing most likely the most crucial part of that worship time, and that is your moment with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Listen, when we are throwing songs on the screen, you can follow along and you can track, but you know what happens a lot of times is that we disconnect and we're just reading the bouncing ball on the screen and we're doing our thing. And there's nothing wrong with having lyrics on the screen, but when we're having that flow time and we go, oh, this is about me now. I need to do something without being having EJ with her pom-poms and cheerleading. It then creates a very tight, and can I say it, a, a, a very um, uh, intimate moment with God. Yeah, we, 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 we proceed. Uh, we're in the book of Acts, so if you didn't know, Acts chapter 13, last week we talked about 12, what happened in the church of Jerusalem and how it was different than the church of Antioch in chapter 11, and where are we going to be when the circumstances don't dictate what we want it to be, and how are we going to respond when things don't line up the way we want to? Well, like true fashion, we're going back to Antioch. So we're going back to the fun church, okay? In Acts chapter 13, uh, we sa- it says this, Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manon, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So we have a list of people's names, okay? These are the teachers and the prophets in that church, now, I think it's interesting that they name who they are. We, the, the idea of, of Barnabas being there isn't crazy for us because Barnabas has been there since the, the whole thing. Like he's, of course he's teaching, of course he's here. But, but this next guy, Simon, it, it's interesting. It says Simon, who was called Niger. And that word actually means, can anybody guess? Black. I love this. Can I tell you the early church wasn't segregated from the beginning and can I tell you they didn't care the color of the skin because this person is a teacher or a prophet there was no second class based on how much melanin or less melanin you had in your skin it's this idea that we are supposed to be a multicultural church. New life now will become and continue to become a multi- more of a, of a blended church. And if you have a problem with that, there's a double door on the way back. It is that beautiful thing that we're seeing at the very beginning of the book of Acts. Not only are they saying they had all cultures, but they also said all cultures have a place in our church. And our place isn't somewhere in the back. Our place is all in the front based on how the Spirit leads and anoints. And I love that. All right. In Acts chapter 12, we learn that uh, Barnabas and Saul uh, and John Mark were at the church in Antioch and, and having returned from delivering support to those churches after the famine and everything that was taking place, Saul and Barnabas were among the teachers and the prophets there. Uh, we see these other people that were there that created this multicultural church and this dynamic that was there. Um, most likely this man came uh, from the, the, 
either that direct area or from some of the mission. Remember when um, the Ethiopian eunuch got saved? Maybe he sent. We don't know where exactly all this come from. But what's cool is the last person's name. And I love this. Uh, this guy who has been brought up with Herod the Tetra. This is the same Herod that decided that John the Baptist's head looked better removed from his shoulders. This is the same Herod again that presided over a trial with Jesus. And what does it say there that this man who has been brought up with Herod, isn't that interesting that these two men paralleled growing up together took two completely different avenues of life? Uh, they, they grew up in life, and they, they made their decisions, and one follows Jesus, the one wants to kill Jesus. One is doing his best to follow the plan of God, and the other one is doing his best to kill any of the prophets of God, including John the Baptist. And he becomes a Christian and a strong leader in the church. And I think it's interesting because here's the big thing. Can I tell you this? And this first verse has got so much in it. First verse is this. It doesn't matter where you came from because you have a choice. Your background and how you were raised... You had zero choice in that. The city you grew up in, the people that you connected with, the friends, the education system defined it. You had zero choice in that matter. However, you do have a choice in the decisions to dictate your life. One has decided to learn from God. One has decided to run towards God. And you as the same have a choice. Well, this is just how I was raised. That's how my grandpa was, that's how my daddy was, that's how my mama was, it is what it is. We gotta break that spirit of it is what it is. Listen, you are an adult and you have a choice. How are you going to become? My wife and I were doing the, a vision board this past weekend and, and, or, and, and, and we're walking through all of our stuff and, 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 and putting down all of our stuff and it was a lot of fun, it was a great idea and, 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 and you're seeing this lining up going, what is it that you wanna be? What is that kind of choice that you want to make? How is it that you want to make a decision from A to B? Or are you just okay going, it is what it is, and I'll just live my life the way it happens? Listen, I cannot determine my story, but I can determine my responses. And there are areas in my life that I can control, and there are areas of my life that I can become an adult and grow up and take responsibility for where I'm at today. And we're not seeing this in today's culture. We're not seeing this in what's taking place. It's this whole idea, I am who I am, and it's not my fault. You know, it, it may not be your fault in the neighborhood that you were raised, but it's, it is your choice to become a person of, of honor, integrity, and character. You always have a choice. Character will always cost you something, but typically not money. It doesn't matter how broke you are, you can be a person of honesty. It doesn't matter who your grandpa was or who your grandfather was or your, your grandmama is, you can be a person of character. It doesn't matter what kind of a, a city you were raised in, whether it was in the, in the rich area or in the ghetto, you always have a choice to be a person of honor. That's your choice. And I love this beginning that two men grew up together and we see two different lives. Maybe that's been very seen in your life. 
where you had parallel friends and you went to school together and you went to high school together and all of a sudden you went one way and they went another and, and you have a reunion and that's what's pretty crazy about these 20, 30, 40. My mom and dad had their 60th class reunion not too long ago. Uh, 50, oh my bad, sorry. Uh, 50th class reunion the other day, uh, this past year, and, and, and you're seeing, wow. And they would come back and be like, you won't believe this person. Raised in the same city, raised in the same school, growing up in the same teachers, yet one takes a left and one takes a right. You always have a choice to serve God or to not serve God. That's totally up to you. And we see this lay itself out, and I love this, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work on which I have called. Can, I, can we pause? Can we go back one verse, please? Can we start at the very beginning? Who is it that is ministering before the Lord? The church. The churches. This is not just these couple of guys hanging out at a, at a, at a Waffle House, and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit goes, Whoa! and breaks out. This is a church group of people that is gathering together with this congregation in Antioch and Barnabas and, and other people who ministered there had prophetic words and they would teach and they would do all these things. And I love this. They ministered to the Lord. This idea here is, is this, is, it's a priestly action. And if you were to break down, and if you're like me and you're a nerd and you like to, to, to break down the, the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic, this word literally means, ready for this? It's to administer at one own expense. I'll, how am I going to minister to the Lord? I'm going to pour myself out. Amen. It's going to be something from me. I'm not ministering to the Lord because I hit play and I'm cleaning the house and music is just playing. No, this kind of ministry before the Lord is me giving something. Can I tell you, it's what just took place in worship. It's the pouring out of your heart. It is the raising of your hand. It is, the, it is the, your heart and your body connecting to the Spirit, saying whatever it is that you want, Holy Spirit, I give it all to you. And I love how they reserve this word for the priestly act. Because further on in the New Testament, we hear that they call you kings and priests. In fact, the, I think as Peter says, you are a royal priest. That means that we should all continually be like priests ministering before the Lord. Based on how this text goes, just to give you guys some history, I, I feel, I can say pretty confident, that they were seeing what was taking place in Antioch, and they're seeking God going, how can this spread beyond our church? And they would, they would fast, and they would pray, and they would seek God's faith, just like many of you guys are doing with us this month, going, Jesus, what do you want to happen in our area? What is it that's going on? God, what is the next step? God, how do we elevate where we are spiritually? God, how do we move forward in all this? What is it that we have to do? Uh, in other words, they weren't backseat drivers sitting in the pews eating popcorn going, entertain me today. They are people who were there with purpose, and that purpose was, I'm going to minister before the Lord, and I expect the Lord to pour out on us. Yeah. 
That's, that's the relationship we have. Uh, uh, I, I was recently communicating with somebody, and we were talking about how we do church and how does that work, and do you, how do you do membership, and we're, we're walking through all of these, 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 these things. And I had this conversation because we're talking about church and we're talking about what's going on, and I said, can we just t- take a time out? When you say how do you do church, are you talking about the gathering of believers or what is the church? We talked about that a little bit last week. And he goes, uh, the gathering of believers. I said, all people can come and gather. Every single one can gather. Whether you're saved or not, whether you believe or not, you can come to the gathering of what we are. However, you can't be part of the church unless you are part of the faith. Does that make sense? Like, it's not this idea of, oh, yeah, just take two classes and you remember. Like, you have to be part of the faith. Like, step one, Jesus. And if you go, well, I don't have to have Jesus to be part of this, then can I tell you, maybe your example of this isn't that strong. Um, Because in my ministry with the saints, there should be a giving and a receiving. A giving and a receiving. The roles here are too extreme. Many people go, well, I'll just give it all, and they expect nothing in return. When you come before the Lord, you should expect an encounter in his presence, where he speaks to you, where he loves you, where he wraps his arms around you. But at the same time, you should be a giver and a receiver, so don't just come in and go, God, you got 45 minutes. You better make this quick. You may not say that, but six songs? Six songs? How many? We sang this chorus seven times. Oh, no, the song ended and Pete's still playing. We're going to do it again. I wonder if there's coffee in the back. See, a person who is giving and receiving is a person who is engaged in the process. But, but maybe that's a part of an issue that we're having at church as a whole is that this idea of I don't have to be a bringer I can just be a taker but church is supposed to be people who are bringing and people who are receiving the bringers receive the receivers bring and it keeps going and it keeps going and just so I can just clear the air I ain't talking about your money right now I got tense we're not doing another offering this is it's over you had your shot but be a bringer. How do I be a, how am I a bringer at church? I engage in worship. I engage in relationships horizontally. How was your day? I'm a part of the small group. I'm edifying each other. I'm praying for you. You're praying for me. the, The third thing is I pay attention during service. Maybe take notes. Maybe be somebody who's going, God, this is worth my attention. I'm going to write this down because on Tuesday when all hell breaks loose, I can look back at your word and go, what is it that you had for me today? Those are the big three things. How do I minister before the Lord? I worship, I engage, and I pay attention. Those are big three. And you can worship by raising your hands, clapping, singing, singing a song of the Lord, giving your tithes and offerings, serving in the house. Those are ways to worship. So be a bringer. But don't just bring. Receive just as much. In fact, when you sow, listen to this, when you sow, 
you should reap. And it's a one-to-one ratio, right, Dad? I give a dollar, he gives me a dollar. <laughs> no, here's the great exchange. Because it happened when you got saved. I gave him my filth, he gave me righteousness. Those aren't one-to-one ratio. I give him my best worship, which is probably not that great in comparison to what he's experiencing in heaven. And he looks back at me and goes, I'm going to give you more of who you are. I'm going to unlock another level of your destiny right now. I'm going to, rem- uh, your floor is going to, you know, you're going to be your ceiling and we're going to con- continue to, to grow and we're going to continue to expand it. And I'm going to put more capability inside of you and I'm going to unlock the next level. Yeah, guys, it's a, it's a beautiful transition. I don't even know where I'm at. Separate from me for Paul, Barnabas and Saul. And it's significant that they called these two men. And, and I feel like there was a heartbreak somewhat in the church because Barnabas and Saul in this season of life uh, were, were everything to this church. They came in. They, they brought order. They brought everything that's going on. And now they're leaving. And that's a sad thing. And, and, but they're not just leaving. They're being sent. I heard a wise man once tell me there's two types of people who leave the church. Those who get sent and those who just went. Paul and Barnabas, or Saul and Barnabas in this season, are being sent. They're being sent by the church, and they're being sent by the Holy Spirit. For the work which I have called him, he has a very specific task for them to do. He had appointed Barnabas and Saul to do something. And I love what is written in Ephesians 2, for we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works which surprised God. And he said, there they are. No, which God prepared beforehand. He's got something prepared for you. He's got something prepared for your life. And it's a good work. I know that's a, that's a bad word in today's society, work, but it's a good action. There is something good that's taking place. We, we have this idea of God doing a good work as checks just in the mail, and we get to sit on our blessed assurance and, 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 and shop on Amazon all day. No, a good work is me taking my life and changing other lives. Yes. That's what this whole thing is about. We've got to etch a sketch this idea that God's blessing means that I just get to relax more. God's blessing means that I have more of an impact in the world. Okay. Having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and they sent them away. At this moment, Paul and uh, Saul and Barnabas are ordained to go and do something. The church in Antioch sends them out. And this is the first time we actually see this in the New Testament. Sure, there was other people that expanded and started churches, but this is the first time we see intentional missionary work in the New Testament. Every other time was, we're getting persecuted. Let's run, and then we're safe. Let's gather together. And they would start a gathering. This is the first time we see an offensive attack against the enemy. Every other time it's been defensive. We're going to run, and then we're going to have a church. We're going to run, and we're going to have a church. This is the first time they go, I think we can do this because we choose to now. Think about that. How many times have you come to worship God because your life has fallen apart? Versus how many times is your life actually good? And be like, I'm great. I'm going to choose to worship today. I'm going to choose to be a giver. I'm going to choose to expand. 
Not just expanding because, and, and listen, that, that happens. And can I tell you, that's a beautiful thing. When all life and all hell and everything breaks out against you and your family, and yet you're still ministering the gospel to somebody, that's a beautiful thing. But the other side is what happens when you get everything you're hoping for and you're comfortable, do you just stop? Or do you continue to push? Yeah, I've got the money now, and I've got the relationships now, and I've got the comfort now, and, and everything's to be good, and I've got the house and the cars and all that. I don't have much of a need anymore, and I hear this conversation pretty regularly, like, I, what are you praying for? I, God's been great. I don't really have a big prayer list, and that's beautiful. But that doesn't mean in that moment that we just sit back and retire. We push when we are getting pushed, and we pushed when the enemy is fleeing. You are called to have a forceful advance of the kingdom in every season of your life. And that's the church. The church is doing great. Killing it. And now they're going, hey, we're not just going to gather a big building and continue. We're gonna, no, we're going to send the best that we have out to go and do something new. And being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went out to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Can you throw that on the screen for me, Lauren, that, that graphic? Um, this, is, this is the first missionary journey that we're going to be seeing here on the screen. And what we're going to be seeing is how they did this. And you see that, that dot where it says Antioch? And you see that first little dot that says Seleucia? That's about a 20-mile trip. It's not horrible. It's not bad. They didn't have a car, so it would be an all-dayer, but it's, it's not crazy. And they, and they stopped there, and they, we, we don't have any idea what they did. Nothing. But maybe they were just, what did you do today? I went to the airport, and you know, they just got excited and wrote, wrote down what they did there. There's, there's nothing that's, that's happening here. Um, uh, so they leave, and it says that they went to the city... Oh, they, they went to Cyprus, sorry. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John as their assistant. Okay, so we can see that as, as they are going down, uh, they went down to, sorry, I probably gave you guys the wrong slide. They went down to Cyprus, you see that little island? And you see where it's got the little cave on the right side of it, on the east side of it? There's a little city there called Seleucia, and that's where they went. And I've always wondered why. Do they just blindly pick a spot on the map? It says nothing in here that God said, and go to this city. So why did they do this? And then it hits me like a ton of bricks. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 tells us that Barnabas is from Cyprus. Here is your first thing. When you are wanting to advance the kingdom of God, Go home. Go home. You start with the people that know you. It's easy for me to travel across the sea and minister to strangers. It's a lot harder to look at my friends and family and speak the truth. But that's what he does. He and Saul link together. Where are we going to go? I don't know. Let's go home. I, I know people. Maybe they can get us connected and that we can do some MLM networking or something. I'm not quite sure. But what they're going after right now is he goes home. The very first thing to advance the kingdom starts at home. If we cannot forcefully and, and tactfully and lovingly begin to minister the gospel in our own home, 
it's going to be difficult for us to expand the kingdom outward. We start with our spouses and family. We start with our kids, and we begin to minister the gospel to them. We expand at home to our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers, and we begin to expand even further out to the strangers and to the highways and the byways and, and, and to the rich and to the poor and the people under the subways and the people that own the subways. And, and you begin to go through that, but we, we start home. We, we start with the things that we know. If we're only praying for God, God, send me to Tokyo, send me to Russia, I want to go to Ethiopia, send me to Brazil, those are great prayers. But God goes, you've got a mission field right here, and you don't have to get a passport. Start at home. The second thing I think is always interesting about this, this, this passage is this, is that they, in verse, uh, where are we at? Uh, and when they arrived to Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. That's always baffled me. So they would go and start speaking at a synagogue, which is the church, the, the Jewish gathering together. And I've never understood how he was able to pull that one off. Like, is it on the steps? Is he just saying, they repent for the kingdom of God is at hand? And Paul's speaking. And uh, then I decided not to be lazy and really just dive into it. What culturally am I missing? What, what is happening that I'm just not click clicking? And here's the coolest part. Back in the day, they used to have a, a, a culture where anybody of a high rapport would come into the synagogue that person would look in the audience for guests, see who was of high rapport, and go, do you have anything to share? So let's back up. Pastor Allen talked about us going to Scott Webb to go listen to Scott and, and, and Jerry Savelle and doing all that stuff, which I'm excited about. It would be the equivalent of Pastor Scott and Jerry sitting on the front row, and I go, oh, guys, hey, do you have anything you want to share? Okay. But why Paul? Because his past. He was a Pharisee of Pharisee and served under the best of the best. And no, they didn't walk in like we would see the Pope in a big white robe, but they did have garments that would distinguish their education and connection. So when Paul walks in wearing his old, old life, and he'd sit down, they'd go, oh man, this guy is, this guy's important. Do you have anything to share? And he goes, as a matter of fact, I do. And he stands up and begins to declare the gospel to these people. And then we see Barnabas. Y'all, I'm from here. Y'all know me. This is spot on. And there's a guy named John. This is not the apostle John. This is John Mark, who happened to write the book of Mark, who has been with Jesus physically. And you got to see this trifecta here, okay? You've got Paul, who sat in the synagogue and was right there when they condemned Jesus. Mark, who was with Jesus the entire time, who can back up the whole story. And then you've got Barnabas, who's like, y'all know me. He's using his, ready for this? He's using his relational collateral for the gospel to be preached. So when we look at somebody and say, hey, bring somebody to church, what we're saying is, can you use your relational collateral? You know me. You know I wouldn't make you be at a crazy place. You know that I, 
We're asking you, can you use your relational collateral because maybe you don't have all the words. Maybe you don't know how to do it all. Can you use your relational collateral with your friends and your coworkers and your family to go, I've got a church just for you. You know me. I'm going to connect. I got your back. And if it gets crazy, we'll all go somewhere else. You had this trifecta of the man going, this, you, all, you are my people. The person that goes, I have all the education, and I was there when we condemned him. And the other person that goes, and I was there when he came back to life. But let's take that. Maybe you don't have the three people. Can I tell you? You are the three people. You have relational collateral across the board. If not, and you are a hermit, and you have no friends, and you have no bird, you have no bush, you have got nothing, hey, new thing called Facebook, get on it, start connecting with people. Go out into the grocery store, go to a coffee shop, meet people, do something. The church is a great spot. Small groups are a great spot. But then we have a Paul. We have a Paul who has a past. And you know what? A lot of times in church, we want to run from our past. Paul put it on. He put it on. He goes, this was my life. I did all of this. It got me in the door. I used to be like you. I used to be depressed. I used to drink. I used to smoke. I used to do. I was exactly where you were. You were. Yeah, you know what? It sucked. It was fun for a while. Don't get me wrong, but when that plane crashes, it hits hard. And then I met Jesus. For a long time, I hated the guy. I ran from the guy. I didn't want the guy at all. But he encountered me. He, he woke me up. He did something in my life. And then you switch over to the mark. And let me tell you of the history of who I used to be to where I am today. I watched myself dead in my trespasses come back to life because of who Jesus was and is, and will continue to be. And if he did it for me, he'll do it for you. It wasn't fancy, but that's the gospel. And I love all of this because we have this opportunity right now to see that Paul and Barnabas are, and John are beginning to make an impact. So then they leave. Can you go, to the, go on the other side of Cyprus? There's another city. So they head over to Paphos. It's actually on the exact opposite side. It would be the California of that island, okay? It's the exact opposite. And I don't just mean California because it's on the West Coast. It was one of the most horrible places to live. It would be, probably not California, it would be the Vegas meets San Francisco, and they had a nasty baby. <laughs> it was the most deplorable area in that island. It was horrible. And that's where they go. Stop number two. Because they had this idea that the healthy people don't need a doctor. They had this idea that the broken need a physician. That the starving need the food. That those who are thirsty need the water. And we're going to bring it to them. They didn't just stay in their comfort level. They, they leave. And it says, as when they had gone to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer. That sounds great. A false prophet. A Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So here we go. We have a Jew who has become a sorcerer. 
named Bar-Jesus. Bar is son of, son of Jesus. But he's not the son of Jesus Christ. Jesus was a popular name. And later on, they don't even call him by that name anymore. Like they don't, we're not going to even attribute that title to you. But he's there with the proconsul. The proconsul is the guy who rules the specific area, i.e. the entire island of Cyprus. He would have to go back and forth to Rome to stand in the Senate and to do his... This is a very powerful man. So you've got two guys, Barnabas and Saul, meeting with two guys, the leader of the island and his sorcerer. And they're sitting there going, this is an interesting thing. Let's hear what you have to say. See, all Roman provinces were divided into two classes. Those that required troops and those that didn't. The ones that didn't were, late, were, were administered by the Senate and ruled by proconsuls. In other words, this whole area was a safe area. Rome taught it was, it doesn't need armies, it doesn't need a military. We've got it all under control. It's not a big deal. But here's the cool thing. We have now historical documents that show that there's inscriptions bearing this proconsul's name as a Christian and a believer of Jesus Christ. This is not a fairy tale. This is history. But Omaeus, also known as Bar Jesus, the sorcerer, withstood them, seeking to turn their proconsul away from the faith. And this is the first time we see this. Then Saul, who is called Paul. And I love this because until this moment, it's been Barnabas. Saul's just been there. He's been doing whatever was told. But notice, he takes a moment. What was this moment that he takes? Filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, Oh, full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind for not seeing for such a time. And immediately a dark mist fell upon him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. I love this because Saul becomes Paul when he does something we don't like, and that is conflict. I don't feel like this was a, hey, bro, what's up? You son of the devil. You've perverted the ways of God. And he's speaking to a Jew, so this guy knows the right way. He's looking at him going, you've taken everything that was sacred and you've made it nasty. So here we go. I got blind. It worked for me. Maybe it'll work for you. But I think it's also interesting because a sorcerer is somebody who's supposed to see into the future too. He's supposed to be able to look at somebody and tell them things. He just takes away everything. See, Conflict is not supposed to be a bad thing. Can we, can we all agree? Disagreeing doesn't have to be dishonorable. But in this case, in this case, 
This isn't just somebody who goes, well, I don't believe you should baptize with water. I think you should sprinkle. And we're looking at them like, you son of the devil. No, that's not what's taking place here. This is somebody who is actively taking the word of God and making it bad. That is demonic. This isn't somebody who has an opinion that you don't agree with. Well, I think you should wear a suit and tie to church. Great. I think you should be casual. Great. I think you should serve coffee at church. Great. I think you should have everything sacred in church. Great. That, that's not a reason to chastise somebody and call them sons of Satan. Preferences are not supposed to be our points of contention. Y'all understand that? However, there is a moment in our lives when unrighteousness raises its head and it is your responsibility to call it what it is, the devil. Do I just dive in? Do I back out? Keep it on a high note? Dive in? Mom, man, mom you edge me on, girl. Don't, don't start. There is unrighteousness in our world. And the church is too afraid to call it out. In fact, that's just, ah, we're, here we are. The Bible clearly tells us that there is two genders in this word. Anything else is confusion. Anything else is confusion. Anything else is confusion. And who is the author of confusion? Mm. The Bible also tells us that he clearly has relationship ideas for a man and a woman. Anything else beyond that, the Bible says unnatural ways. That, that, would, that would be the devil. You know, in the Old Testament, there's a lot of stories of how they used to take babies and throw them on the altar to kill them as a sacrifice. In fact, Elisha had enough of that. And he murdered them with his bare hands. I'm not, I'm not saying go and do that. <laughs> but he stood up for something. And yet we are murdering babies on a regular basis. At what point does the church go, that's wrong? In, in, in any of those three items? Or are we, have we been so brainwashed for tolerance that we don't know where the, end, the word begins and the natural word and the world have meshed together and we don't know anymore. I'm not saying we pick a fight with everybody, but I'm looking at this whole situation and going, there's got to be these moments that you have such a deep conviction of right and wrong that you go, that's not right. Now, here's the thing. In a lot of ways, we have relational collateral. Remember, we talked about that. And if I have a bridge of relationship, it should be strong enough to bear truth. And when I look at an Elaine and she's not living the word the, the way that she's supposed to be and she's not doing her stuff, I can look at her and go, hey, you're better than this. I'm not going to call her the son of the devil or daughter of the Satan. But we're going to have a, a great relationship where I can go, hey, I believe in you. But then there's these moments when people are perverting the word of God. And you go, that's not right. And you have all rights and authority to look at somebody and tell them that's not what the word of God says. They have all rights to tell you it is. 
Ain't getting no love today. All right. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done. <laughs> As we're, we're going to close out here in verse 13 here. The proconsul wanted to seek out not a sign, but he wanted to hear about God. He got a sign on top of it. There was demonstration and there was power. And it says this, when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John departed from them, returning to Jerusalem. We'll pick up from there next week, but I, I want to pause for a second because I find it very unique for me that there, the very end of this story that we're having right here is that you have Paul and Barnabas standing before a proconsul who is wanting to hear the word of God. And you have this other man who is a Jew who knows the word of God, actively trying to keep him away from God. We should never be the ones standing in the way of anyone's conversion to the faith. Paul and Barnabas did not convert this man. Jesus did. And I need to stress this a lot. We've missed this idea that God draws men unto himself. Okay? That's, this is how repentance is. We were lost, and you didn't have an epiphany and pull yourselves up by your bootstraps. No, you did not. The Bible tells us that you were drawn by his spirit to him. That's what salvation is. I was in my lost. I didn't have an epiphany. He sought me out and drew me in. There's an old story of Billy Graham doing one of his amazing crusades. And this man was just, he had a bender all night. Shows up to his conference. Stumbling around, looks at, Benny, at, at, at Billy Graham and says, you led me to the Lord. I got saved by you 10 years ago. And Billy Graham goes, obviously you didn't stick. Because there's an idea, of if I save you, you can fall out. But if Jesus saves you, you are held into his hand that nothing can snatch out. So when we look at this, our responsibility is to proclaim the word. Our responsibility is to proclaim the word and not get in the way of the word. It is the Holy Spirit's responsibility to draw people to the word. You notice in the very first story when he went to the synagogue, how many people were saved? Doesn't say. It's interesting because in other scriptures, thousands, tens of thousands. So there's a fair assumption here that maybe no one got saved. You're telling me that Paul preached an incredible message and no one got saved? Yeah, happened a lot. And you know what he did? He went to the next town. It is your responsibility to declare the word of God. It is your responsibility not to get in the way of the word of God. It is God's responsibility to draw people. Take that responsibility off of yourself. You do your job and you let him do his job. It's a partnership. Just like those three men. One would get them in the door. 
One would speak the word. One would confirm the word. My responsibility is to partner with God and declare his goodness and watch God do his part, draw them unto him. But we should never get in the way. And I, and I, and I was, I got home last night and, and I'm laying in bed and, and, I, and I'm sitting there going through verses 12, 11 and 12 in my head, going through and going through it, going through it, going through it, going through it. And I realized how many times maybe I have gotten in the way. Not because of sin, necessarily, but because of my actions, because of how I conducted myself maybe. But more, more, more for me is this idea of, God, what is it in my life that is keeping people away from the faith? What is it about my actions and my words, my deeds that I am doing that keeps people from the faith? What is my actions and deeds that I'm not doing that are keeping people from the faith? You see, in this case here, we see somebody who is actively resisting God, and there was a judgment placed on him. But maybe you don't realize you are actively resisting God. But I think, by and large, a lot of us are. Not intentionally, but maybe it's because we let fear get into our life. We have those I should say something. I should love somebody. I should take them to lunch or coffee or I should share the word of God with them. I should pray with them. I should, I should do that. But fear holds us tight and we go, no, nah, I'm not going to do it. And we actively back away from encountering the God that would save them from their sins. Maybe we have this idea that, that we are being a big stumbling block. And can I tell you how grateful I am for this place? You, you have allowed me to be me, which I feel like most Sundays are a lot of confrontation. I'm a kova, which means I confront. No, um, I, I have had the privilege and honor of, of ministering and laying it out, and you do with it what you want to, but you keep growing and coming back, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm honored by it. But let me say this. A lot of times in our faith, it's not our actions that are causing people to leave the faith because we have this idea of a stumbling block which is a great thing don't don't be a stumbling block but i feel like that's that's become very religious in a lot of ways okay i can't have a glass of wine because if somebody who's doing an alcoholic sees it then they're going to fall off the wagon well that's fine but what if somebody's dealing with gluttony can i still go to mcdonald's I wouldn't go just because it hurts my stomach, but that's a lie. I go on a regular basis. I lie to you, Bob. I go. Um, but we have this idea of do's and don'ts because if we live this perfect, exactly nothing in it, then, then, then everyone who sees us should just fall at our knees and repent. And that's not the case. See, nine times out of ten, it's not the actions of what I'm doing that's keeping people from the faith. It's the action of inaction that is keeping people from the faith. It's the idea of fear controlling my life. We went to a, 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 a soccer game, Jessica and I, and we had a friend, Emily, that was with us, and, and it's freezing. It is, it's freezing cold. And uh, I look over at Emily, and she's bundled up, and, and she's having a seizure. Like, she's just shivering. She's so cold. 
And she goes, you know, I don't think that hell is such a bad idea right now. <laughs> and we all laughed and we cut up and did our thing. But then I, I, I thought more about it. And the more I think about it, the more I think that's how we've been living our lives to the unbelievers. Hell's not a horrible idea. Because if it was a really bad idea, I would tell you about it. If it was a really horrible thing that was something that I truly believed was going to be cataclysmic for your soul, then I would tell you don't do it. I will give you my advice on Facebook about where restaurants you should go to and what, don't go there, bad service. But yet, I'm not going to be willing to tell you about my faith. I will tell you about a lady who probably had a bad day and dropped a plate, and I'm never going back to that restaurant again. Is it really that bad of a thing? No. But at the same time, I'm looking at you going, I'm not going to tell you about Jesus because that might offend you. I find us being bold in the wrong areas of life. And we should be emboldened in our faith to go, hell is a horrible idea. It is a bad thing to do. Whether you believe in fire and brimstone or just a separation from God, it doesn't matter. It's a horrible thing. And it doesn't last for a week. It's not a bad Airbnb. We have to tell people the word of God. Don't let the the choice of fear and uh, being held back because of indecision and action be the reason why people aren't coming to the faith. Live it out. Amen? God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that as we go throughout our week, number one, we thank you that it's going to be warming up. Thank you for the weather that's about to be here. We're so grateful. But God, I just thank you that at the same time as, as the temperatures change and it goes from cold to hot and, and, or, or warm, I should say, that God, we also see a temperature shift in our world that we begin to see the church rise up and take their rightful place. The rightful place, not condemning, but loving everyone into the faith. The rightful place by telling people the truth of the word of God and what's happening at the afterlife. The rightful place of telling them who is the answer to all of their situations. And God, I just thank you that this week we have opportunities to share our faith. First at home and then abroad. And I think that as we gather next week, we'll have testimonies of that. And we give you all the praise and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.